2: niner fans and welcome to a special edition of the niner noise podcast part of the fan podcast network my name is chris wilson i am a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me is both fellow contributor robert morrison and the one and only matt barros author and 49ers reporter at the athletic we're going to spend the next hour talking with matt about your San Francisco 49ers from their recent past to their current 2020 season to the team's plans for the future. Let's begin our unscripted because that's a whole lot more fun conversation with 18 year 49ers beat writer, Matt Barrows.
3: With us now joining us on the Niner Noise podcast is uh, one Mr. Matt Barrows, uh, writer, 49ers writer for the athletic Matt, thanks for joining us tonight as we want to talk about lots of things related to the 49ers, both this year's team and teams of past as we talk about a book that you just put out, which I had the opportunity to read a couple of weeks ago, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the San Francisco 49ers sideline locker room and press box. Matt, any important information that we need to know about the book before we get into any specific questions?
4: No, other than um, it's good timing because uh, Alex Smith is a uh, a major theme in the book. Um, uh-huh. He's really really sort of the guide uh, in a lot of ways um, through um, a lot of the chapters. And Alex Smith is returning to 49ersville, which isn't really 49ersville, <laughs> it's Arizona, but going to be taken mm-hmm. on his old squad. And Joe Staley, who writes the forward for the book, uh, used to be the last tie to uh, Alex Smith to Frank Gore in the locker room. And of course he, uh, he retired in the off season. So there's really nobody that played with Smith here in San Francisco. Although current 49ers, Trent Williams and Jordan Reed were on Smith's squad last year in Washington. So those are the only real ties I think to to Alex Smith these days.
3: Yeah. And I was going to ask you a little bit more about Alex Smith here in a little bit, but, I was curious. I I read the book. I really enjoyed it. It was a light, breezy read with some really interesting stories, enlightening stories about some, uh, some characters, let's say, that were on those team's especially during the, uh, the Jim Harbaugh era. Just some, some interesting uh, guys, I'm sure, to cover and to, and to talk with. So I was wondering, which player or players did you find the easiest to be in contact with? Not necessarily in terms of like you could call them up and they'd answer questions, but just sort of like the easiest to have conversations with and get information from.
4: Well, it's a great question because, I, you know, I wanted to get in touch with, with everybody. Um, I wanted to get in touch with Frank Gore. I wanted to get in touch with Navarro Bowman um you know all the marquee names from from that era and getting getting in touch with some of these guys was really difficult i must have exchanged you know 30 40 text messages with Navarro Bowman and he was the flakiest guy on the planet and um yeah he was terrible and uh, i don't mind saying that just cuz i i busted my you know what trying to get a hold of him and and you know i really wanted to talk to him uh, you know, for his insights, I, I wrote a whole chapter on that Giants playoff yeah. game. I, I wanted to talk to him about that. I wanted to talk to him about the the Atlanta the championship game the the year after, which he basically ended with a, a batted pass at the at the end of the game. Um, and then, you know, closing Candlestick. I mean, he's 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 another guy that just you know uh, keeps popping up throughout the history of this team, the recent history of this team. But he was so. Hard to get a hold of. And wow. uh, I even ran into him at the Super Bowl. Um, he spends his off seasons in South Florida in the Miami area. And, um, you know, I got on a podcast with him. We at The Athletic have have a 49ers podcast. And, and he was like, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, give me a call, <laughs> you know, next week. No problem. And I thought I it was, you know, in the bag. And even that one went for naught. So Navarro Bowman, uh, if you're listening out there, and, and he's a Maryland guy, by the way. I was about to say.
2: I know Navarro's mom.
4: <laughs> really? Do you really? That's funny.
2: Yeah, she still comes to all the Niners away games. Pretty cool. And I would happily get you in contact with her so she can set her son straight. Let him know that when the Matt Barrows calls, man, you better answer. Well, he
4: had, he had a chance at immortality being a part of this book, and and yeah. he blew it, Navarro. So, <laughs> um, but um, you know, Joe Staley was was great to talk to. All the offensive linemen, really. Uh, Jonathan Goodwin was was fantastic. Uh, Adam Schneider was fantastic. So, there's as a, a lot of
3: Snyder in there.
4: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Snyder. and and he's uh you know he's part of that crew with yeah. Smith Smith and uh, Staley too. So they're all they all remain very tight. Their wives are close, and and so they're they're good friends. Um, so that was a, a as far as position groups go, I'd say offensive line was uh, was really good. Offensive line and and DBs were. The two that sort of uh, stood out as far as getting in contact with people.
3: That's really funny. I have a funny Navarro Bowman story as well. I teach school and I used to teach seventh grade um, in North Carolina actually, and north of Charlotte, a little town. And I don't know if you remember a bunch of years ago, it might have been around the Super Bowl run that they had. ESPN did a thing where he went down to visit some family down in uh, down in North Carolina. Well, it turned out that family went to the school that I taught at, and his nephew was one of the kids in one of my other teacher's class. And he was like, it's funny, I got a very similar response from his nephew. It sounds like you got from him. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? And he kind of stared at me from across the lunch table. It's like, so, you know, you ever, like, hang out with your uncle? Like, was it any, you know, I got nothing. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so that, that kind of answered my second question, which was, you know, who do you wish you could have gotten more out of? But that's cool that you got as much cooperation. I mean, from the from the looks of it, it looks like you got, you know, most of, of the people that you needed, but definitely having Bowman with all the, the ways that he was intricate in that particular portion of the team's history, it would have been nice, but I, I think you, you handled it well. It sounds like. Yeah. Clearly his loss.
4: Yeah. There were enough other guys to talk to that it, it filled in the gaps, but he, he, yeah, I, I think that if I had to pick one guy that I couldn't get a hold of that I wanted to, and, and obviously, you know, my effort, uh, you know, constantly texting him. And probably that was the bad, uh, a bad move in hindsight. <laughs> the more you text somebody, that just the more annoying they get. And, and so you're, you're more apt to, to blow them off. And so I became that guy. Like yeah. the, uh, every ex-girlfriend I read, the, the fringe friend who keeps texting <laughs> saying, Hey, what, what are you up to tonight? You want to hang out? Uh, so he never, he never got back to me. And uh, it would have been a good one because, you know, he's, he's a really smart guy. He's a really mm-hmm. soulful guy. I think, if you did, you know, get him, you know, uh, sit him down and and open him up, I think there is a lot there, and and he's also a guy that, you know, his his career was cut short right right in its prompt. He yeah. was the best linebacker in the league that year, in two thousand thirteen, when he got hurt in Seattle, and um, you know I have spoken to him. I spoke to him on that podcast, and he's handled it as well as anybody could have. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he's made plenty of money and he's got a, a fantastic family. Um, and he's enjoying the hell out of his kids and his wife. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really happy ending for him, but I, I'm sure just being the competitor that he is, he, he still saw himself, you know, five, six, seven more years in this league. And, and like I said, he was at the top of his game, uh, when that injury occurred.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds like he took it a lot better than I did. I remember exactly where I was, driving in the car, actually right outside your hometown when I heard the news. And I was far from pleased to learn that we were letting him go. And I guess eventually allowing him to choose where he wanted to go. All so we could keep Brock Coil.
4: I didn't get Brock Coyle either for my book, but that's more excusable, I think.
2: Yeah, except he Probably be the one who was texting you 40 times in a row. (laughs) And no complaints from me, because I am not a member of the Rock Coil fan club, which I guarantee you does not exist. But tying this back into your book, since I've been accused of perhaps going on a tangent or two on the spot, when you talk about the importance of leadership, I always pictured Bowman in that big brother role to Foster, just like Willis was to him. And if we kept Bo around, I don't think things would have gone down like they did. So when you've been interviewed about the book, including by some friends of the pod, you talked a bit about the negotiation process that you went through before you agreed to actually write it. What I concluded is initially, and I don't want it to come across like you weren't interested in doing it, but it sounded like you wanted the Forty er version of, if these walls could talk, to be different, more of your own creation and not formulaic or something that felt pre-outlined or fill in the section. So provided that my inference is correct, which it sometimes is, how did you attack the writing of this book and what was your process for making it your own?
4: Uh, it, it was tough. I'm, I, I won't lie to you. I, I, I didn't think, you know, they were coming off a, what were they, uh, the year before, 4-12 four and, four and 12 season. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that they were going to go uh, get into the playoffs or go deep into the playoffs or go to the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of work. Um, and I think the deadline for this book was, was February. And, you know, the, the Super Bowl was played on February 2. So um, it was... Um, it, it it was rough. I mean, you know, a lot of lot of work, a lot of uh, frustration as far as, you know, I don't think this chapter is right, I, I wish I had this guy, et cetera, et cetera. I had to hit uh, 70,000 words, um, which is, what is the book, like 215 pages, something around that length. So it, it was hard to do. And, um, yeah, I wanted to do it the way, you know, in sort of a chronological fashion, um, this is part of a series, so there's a If These Walls Could Talk, Chicago Blackhawks. There's a If These Walls Could Talk, you know, uh, Bears, uh, Red Sox, et cetera. And so they're all done a little bit differently, but they're usually done with somebody in radio or TV or a former player, and, and those guys, like, share a few anecdotes, and then the the, uh, the author shares a few anecdotes. I wanted it to be more linear, Um you know, and during the the time that I've covered the team, so I started on the beat in 2003. It was Dennis Erickson's first year, and so you know, it's not the glory years. Uh, there there have been tons <laughs> of books written about Steve Young and Joe Montana and uh, Bill Walsh and, and things like that, and they're all really interesting and, and probably more interesting than this. But nobody's so uh, done this century really of the 49ers. And um, as as one of you noted early on, you know, those Harbaugh teams were full of personalities including and especially harbaugh uh so I, I felt like that needed to get documented even though there's no super bowl ring uh included in that span um i had all this information in my head um and uh it kind of wanted to get it down on paper
2: yeah, I've heard with Harbaugh, it really depends on which day you catch him. So you head into work and you have no idea which personality you're getting at. Yeah, and
4: sometimes you get all, all the personalities in in one day too, in one press <laughs> conference.
3: Well, that must have made your days pretty stress-free. Just from reading it, and I don't think this is necessarily like a criticism, as you said, The, the your deadline was in February and the, the Super Bowl happened. Was that sort of one of those things where the, whole, the book was more or less ready to go and then as last season is happening, you're like, Oh no! We're going to have to figure out a way to put this into the book, sort of last-minute kind of thing. How did that process come to be?
4: That was a concern because if they had won the Super Bowl, then you know all of a sudden it's not just me who's doing a book. There's like you know three or four other guys that are going to jump in, and um, so I had already written uh, three quarters of the book when uh, when I realized that they were going to the Super Bowl. So that does become a big question. I mean, if they had won the Super Bowl, then you then you tilt the whole book to. The Super Bowl team,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, and and maybe I start it with that 2019 team, and then kind of you know do it in medias race with you know the the background in the middle of the book, and then you finish with them winning the Super Bowl. I, I think that's probably how I would have done it. Yeah. Um, But my big concern was that I, I you know I I talked to the publisher about that. I said, well, what if they win? I mean, we'll <laughs> we'll 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 scoot up the uh, you know because this was always going to be published on. October 13, but I figured, oh, if they win the Super Bowl, they'll they'll certainly want to, uh, you know, fast track that so that it comes out in in April or something like that. And mm-hmm. they said, no, no, it's going to be October 13, no matter what. And so I was thinking to myself, oh my god, I've just wasted all this time because I'm going to get <laughs> scooped by like three or four other books that'll come out, you know, in the late spring or summer in my will come out in, in like October or something like that so you know in, in a way it was a relief I, I think I would have sold a lot more books had they won um, yeah. but uh, in, in a way it was a relief that they lost in that you know I wouldn't kind of suffer this, this <laughs> sort of tragic luck of, <laughs> of committing to a book that has to be published in October I, 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 I kind of couldn't believe that when they told me that I was like you know no you have to Accelerated it at some point, they said, "No, no, we're going to do it in October." So mm. um, that, was not, uh, that was not that uh, was not good news. But uh, I, I think it all worked out.
3: Well, I think you might be the only person on this podcast who was happy that they lost. So, jeez, I was You're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, That's, but uh, I, I know I'm just it worked out with That's
2: exactly what I was about to say. I hope that you weren't rooting
3: against us. <laughs> Um, so you, um, you mentioned Alex Smith before, and, um, obviously it's been quite a ride for him over the last, you know, what, two years, almost now that, uh, e60 thing that espn ran i don't i don't know if you saw it but it was uh definitely not for the faint of heart but it also you know showed a lot about you know the kind of person that that alex smith is can you uh can you talk to us a little bit about your relationship with alex during not only the time that you covered the team but obviously working with him and talking with him for the book and you know how you feel about his this return that he's made and how incredible it is
0: yeah,
4: I mean, remember at one point in his career his his head coach was questioning his his toughness and his resilience. Um and it it seemed absurd at that time and and to our credit, I think every, you know, reporter covering the team sort of questioned Mike Nolan's questioning of of Alex Smith. Remember Smith had his his throwing shoulder separated, you know, grade 3 separation, which is a severe Separation. I mean, this thing was out of its socket. All the ligaments were, uh, if not torn all the way, they were kind of strained, so that the the arm was literally kind of hanging a lot lower than than the the, the left arm. I mean, there was no way he was going to be an effective quarterback, and it was painful too. If anybody's ever had a separated shoulder, that is that's quite a bit of pain. And and yet Mike Nolan had the you know audacity to you know say you know he's sore, I'm sore, everybody's sore. Um, And it it went over poorly, and and it was really the the beginning of the downfall of Mike Nolan. But knowing what we know now about that toughness and that resiliency, I mean, the the leg injury that he went through was, I don't know, how many times greater than than the shoulder injury. I mean, it it nearly cost him his life. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right. I mean, that documentary showed pictures of that leg it it looked like a cadaver. I mean, it looked like somebody who had been buried for 10 years. I mean, there was no skin on it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, amazing that he's, A, kept the leg, B, is walking, and the, the fact that he's an effective starting quarterback again is just astounding. Um, and, and I think it, it all goes back to whatever that year was, 2007, I think uh, it, it, it was that the uh, the the Seahawks defensive lineman uh, Rocky Bernard uh, came through the line and just drove him into the ground and separated that shoulder. Um, you know, it it just it 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 all comes back to that and what we learned about him and um, how he endured that, how he endured Nolan, uh, Mike Singletary, all the different offensive coordinators that they have. It was a new guy every year, and then finally when Harbaugh came in it was a, a breath of fresh air. It was, you know, an offensive minded coach, a guy who had been a quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Everything looked, um, like it was going to be heading in the right direction. Finally for Alex Smith. And then it turns out that Harbaugh, I don't want to say, uh, stabbed him in the back. That's, that's <laughs> too strong a term, but, um, you know, uh, Harbaugh went with his guy, his handpicked guy, which was Con Kaepernick, uh, when, when Alex Smith had a concussion. So, he lost his job because of an injury, which which you know is is like the golden rule in the NFL. You don't lose your job because of a of an injury, much less a concussion. Uh, but that's all. That's what happened. So he's been really, really unlucky, and he's overcome that with just you know superhuman, uncommon resilience. And obviously, we're still seeing that today.
3: Yeah, and by all counts, it you know, a genuinely nice human being on top of everything else is my understanding as well.
4: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, what he does for foster youth, um, he doesn't publicize it very much. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, would say dollar for dollar, he's, he's put more into his foundation than any other player in the last 20 years. I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but, um, you know, it, it was certainly trending in that direction early on in his career and he's been playing since two thousand five. So I feel pretty pretty comfortable in, in saying that. Um and like like you noted, um, you know, he's not one to advertise that um or anything, but um, you know, he he's done quite a bit for a really disenfranchised group, uh, you know, foster children.
2: I've always been told he's a real class actor on the field, off the field, in practice, and in the locker room. And I know that in private, he desperately wants to be on the field competing. But in public, he really made sure to at least appear to take it all in stride. I mean, he's just taken this team to the playoffs for the first time in nearly a decade. And the whole experience was crazy. And then he gets benched for... Cap during the Super Bowl run. So he was definitely justified in having beef for that, but he still worked with Cap and helped him improve. And it was really all for the good of the team. Then, after getting traded, he helps Mahomes take his job essentially, fully knowing that he was on the way out as soon as Mahomes was ready to take over the job under center. Just looking. Back in his early years, he was really considered a major bust when he was thrown into action without really a whole lot of help and, as expected, lost a whole bunch of football games. And it didn't take long for fans to be done with him and totally ready to move on and extremely mad at the 49ers front office for drafting him in the first place and passing on a future Hall of Fame quarterback. But... If you fast forward to this week, Niner fans have an entirely different view of Smith as a quarterback and as a human being. And I guarantee that if this Sunday's game was in front of a full Levi stadium, Alex Smith would get a standing ovation from the home crowd as soon as he took the field. Yeah,
4: I guess that's another really good example of his his just rotten luck, is that he he would have had a chance for a a real thank you from you know, a crowd that at one time was, was calling for his backup. We want car, <laughs> um, back in 2010, it was, um,
1: yeah, I yeah <laughs> but
4: he's not going to get it. Um, he's, you know, there weren't going to be any fans in the stands anyway, but now that game is in, in Arizona. And, um, he touched on something about his personality is that, you know, on, on the surface, he seems very serene and taking things in stride. And and that's what frustrated no one. It frustrated Mike Singletary. Two kind of defensive-oriented uh, guys, wear your heart on your sleeve type of guys, and they mistook um, that, you know, that that exterior for for somebody who who wasn't like them. But really, he is. He it's just in inside him. Um, he keeps it uh, in control and internalized, and you know that's the reason why he's able to come back from these injuries because he does have that that intensity in that inner drive, you just have to kind of uh, look for it a little bit harder with him, but it's, it's definitely there uh, and it's definitely burning. And that's why he's still in the league after all these years.
2: And I'm not sure what Nolan's doing
4: at this moment, but
2: I can guarantee he's doing what's important and that's wearing a suit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
3: that's right. He is in Dallas (laughs) at least for four more weeks. That's not going well either. <laughs> yeah, not quite.
2: So Matt, I have a pair of burning questions for you about the 49ers upcoming offseason. And I may bring just a little bit of heat, but just a little bit. So recently, well, more like two or three weeks ago, I read an article you wrote for The Athletic, which was quite popular and Highly debated in the community where you ranked the 49ers potential QB room scenarios for 2021, which is obviously a hot topic among 49er fans. And in the article, you predicted that Garoppolo had just over a 50% chance of returning to San Francisco next season. So I have two related questions. First, given that head coach Shanahan's, Winning splits are roughly 80-20, depending on whether Garoppolo is under center or not. Why doesn't he like him? And second, since you've seen many coaches and players come and go in San Francisco, if you were in Shanahan's position, how would you handle the team's quarterback situation this offseason season? and into 2021?
4: I'll answer two first. I mean, it's almost, I don't want to say it, it's being dictated to the 49ers, but there's just not a lot of great um, options out there uh, as far as, you know, ditching Garoppolo and bringing somebody else in. Um, you know, uh, the quarterbacks who might be available are available for a reason. I mean, we're talking about Sam Darnold or... Carson Wentz or uh, the the Washington quarterback that they drafted a, a few years ago. I mean, Dwayne guys Haskins, who, yeah, Dwayne Haskins guys who really haven't worked out with their first team. Um, you know, and, you know, uh, and, and, and even those guys w- would have a price. I mean, you know, if you traded for Carson Wentz, you're still having to, to give up what a, a second or a third for a guy who had a, a 57% Completion percentage this year? Why, why and, would you do that? And his
3: contract extension hasn't even kicked in yet.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'd cost you, at bare minimum, $25 million a year. So you'd be getting him, you'd be giving up a draft pick, um, and he'd cost you the same as Jimmy Garoppolo does. And Jimmy Garoppolo has you know, a completion percentage of well over 60%, a lot fewer interceptions than Carson Wentz. So when you start comparing him to some of these... Other quarterbacks that they could have all of a sudden Jimmy Garoppolo looks looks awesome. and then you know the the issue with a uh, a draft pick replacing Jimmy Garoppolo is that you know right now they've got the fourteenth pick. you know there's there are half a dozen teams ahead of them that uh, that that are probably gunning for a quarterback, and some right around them that are gunning for a quarterback. and there are maybe three, maybe four. Um, guys that you could envision as your, as your, your, year one starter, a a guy who could kind of, uh, take the helm in 2021. And that includes the kid from North Dakota state, uh, Trey Lance. And, you know, I've watched every one of his games from, from last year. And then the one that he played this year, I, I don't know if he's playing in, in 2021. He's, he's more of a project, I think. Um, so uh, like I said, there aren't a lot of great options out there. And the first part of your question is why doesn't Shanahan like, uh, Garoppolo? I, I I think he does like Garoppolo.
2: Yeah, that was meant to be a bit flippant.
4: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And, uh, but I get what you're saying. I mean, the, the, the answers to the question is that every offensive signal caller, and, and I ran into this in talking to Greg Roman for, for the book that I wrote knows intimately what the shortcomings of his quarterback are. Um so it, it's almost a familiarity breeds contempt type <laughs> of situation where the, the grasses always look so much greener on the other side of the fence because you know you know exactly what your guy struggles with. You know, maybe he can't throw to his left. Maybe he's bad in the you know in the close red zone, um this, that and the other. Uh, but you know Shanahan by now knows exactly what Jimmy Garoppolo's shortcomings are, and I think the the fans do too. Um, he, he's he's not throwing the ball deep very well. Um, he's um, you know, I, I, and I and I think he's a lot better at this than than fans give him credit for, which is dealing with pressure. And you know he, he's not going to run for a hundred yards a game uh, like Lamar Jackson, but but he is kind of uh, good at avoiding pressure in tight spaces. I mean, he he was really good at that. Um, in in 2017, he was good at that in 2019. Uh, I I think that the super bowl colors so much perception of him and maybe that's rightly so. Um, he did not, um, seize the moment, uh, at the end of the super bowl. And he had had an opportunity to, to, to do that. Uh, he, he seemed to get a little smaller. In fact, when it came down to crunch time. And and I think that's probably the biggest critique of him is that he didn't rise when the team really needed him. And I don't know what kind of leader he is, even to this point, he's sort of become one of the guys. That's sort of the, the the pat answer to, to, you know, how he is in the locker room. I I don't know if that's, that's good enough. I mean, uh, I think Joe Montana was one of the guys, but, also in crunch time, Joe Montana became a titan. I mean, he was a king in crunch time. And um, you know, I, I think Garoppolo, if you're going to be one of the guys in the locker room, sort of soft-spoken, um, you need to you know seize the opportunity on the field. And um, like I said, uh, in, in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, that that didn't happen.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like he gets a bad rap for last year's playoffs, which is. Somewhat ironic because he got them to the playoffs in the first place and all these other quarterbacks didn't. But since they didn't lead the league in fourth quarter comebacks, they're watching the games from their couches and not getting criticized for handing the ball off to Mostert like he was instructed to do. I think those other two playoff games really highlighted any mistakes or failures that Grappolo had in the Super Bowl. Now, he obviously could have played a lot better, although I'd argue that Shanahan's play calling, especially on the final drive, wasn't exactly a recipe for success. And you don't really hear about that. And you don't really hear about Mahomes playing his worst game of the year in the biggest game of the year. Yeah. But I think Jimmy's reputation is definitely tainted by those preceding games when the 49ers were just rushing the ball with record-breaking success. Thank you very much, Packers. And... When the Niners run game is flowing, and often when it's not, Shanahan simply just won't pass the football. So the 49ers passing numbers are obviously going to suffer. So leading up to the Super Bowl, everyone's throwing around their opinions and hot takes, regardless of whether they know anything about the 49ers, watched a 49ers game all season. And it's pretty easy to look at the playoff stats and see a quarterback who doesn't have a lot of passing yards and turn that into a quick segment about how he's not good and how he's going to hold the team back in the Super Bowl. And then you top it off with the Super Bowl. Everyone in the world's watching. It's Garoppolo versus the best quarterback in football, and Mahomes, but not that Sunday because the 49ers outplay the Chiefs and Mahomes for three quarters. And then the Niners defense implodes, but Jimmy has that one last chance to pull off another fourth quarter comeback, but he doesn't. or Rather, the entire team and coaching staff doesn't. So I can understand how someone on the outside who's only seen Garoppolo play hurt this year and for a couple of games last playoffs when he's just handing the ball off could potentially question his upside as an NFL quarterback. Now, obviously, I'm not at Niners practices, but as someone who's watched every one of Jimmy's plays... Many, many times, I have a decent idea about what he can do and what he can't do. And I would just figure that Shanahan would want Garoppolo to be his quarterback a whole lot more than he apparently does. But like you said, maybe it is just an attitude problem and not an attitude, attitude problem, but more of a personality problem. And that Shanahan wants a vocal leader in that role under center and the NFL is jam-packed full of vocal players who lose lots of football games but quarterbacks without a real attitude problem who win at the rate that Jimmy does well that's exactly what every team is searching for and it seems like Kittle has really picked up any slack in the vocal leader department that Jimmy might not have
4: one one thing that gives me pause is that you know the, the guy who's sort of leading the anti-Jimmy charge uh, on a national level, has been Mike Florio from NBC Sports. Just seems to have a real, a real vendetta for uh, against Jimmy, and, and and maybe he's doing it because he knows that that's going to instigate a lot of clicks and a lot of attention, uh, which would be you know par for the course. You you'd understand that. Well, what gives me pause is that his partner is Chris Sims um, yeah. on, on on Pro Football Talk. Chris Sims is Kyle Shanahan's best friend.
2: Yeah, when he talks forty nine Niners,
4: they have each other's name tattooed on their bodies somewhere. <laughs> I, I haven't checked where. I don't, I don't want to know. But my, my point, my point that is that if Florio, <laughs> if Florio is so anti-Jimmy, then who's you know who's pouring poison in his ear? And so you would think that oh, he, he'd be you know asking Chris Sims these questions. Chris Sims has access to Kyle Shanahan, so that's what. It sort of gives me pause as far as, you know, is Jimmy Garoppolo the future of this team? Uh, because Kyle Shanahan, you know, you know, calls the shots here. Um, you know, he wears the pants in in the 49ers family. So if Shanahan <laughs> has become so frustrated with Garoppolo that he doesn't think that Garoppolo is ever going to be the guy that, that wins you a Super Bowl, then, then, yeah, I mean, if that's your conclusion... Um, I don't see how you can do anything but to part ways with him and and, and find somebody better. Um, I just don't know what that you know what that that plan is uh, it, It's certainly not it, it, there's no kind of Kirk cousins just kind of sitting out there where you say, Ah, okay that's what he's going to do. That's the easy answer uh, it, it would take quite a bit of maneuvering and, and probably quite a bit of capital. To, to do that and even with that capital are you getting somebody who's you know decidedly better than Garoppolo they they kind of looked at that with Tom Brady and they concluded that no let's stick with Garoppolo here so that's why I think it's a, a better than 50 chance it's probably a better than 75 percent chance that uh that Garoppolo is on the team uh and the starter to begin the off season.
2: The Cousins obsession is one thing about Shanahan that I've just never understood. Well, the Beathard obsession too, but that goes without saying. Cousins just has none of the intangibles you want in a quarterback, and he has a whole lot of red flags. The more important the game, the worse he plays. He can't win a game in prime time. He can't win a game when it's dark outside. He has this weird uncanny ability to miss the playoffs by less than a game which doesn't really matter because he's going to lose anyway. His stats just drop off a cliff as soon as the fourth quarter starts and he's going to be entering his year 33 season and he still hasn't learned how to play quarterback. If Shanahan's looking for a average NFL quarterback, who's not going to choke, but is going to step this game up to overcome all the obstacles that are set in front of him and somehow transform himself into the clutch quarterback he has never been, and then drive his team down the field for a game-winning touchdown. In the Super Bowl, I would love to sit down with him and learn why he thinks that's even an outside possibility. But hey, maybe you know something we don't. You're obviously more on the inside than we are.
4: (laughs) Well, no, I I have the same question as you guys. I mean, uh, Cousins might have a more type A personality, but... He certainly hasn't had more success than Garoppolo in the playoffs, or you know, even in you know crunch time situations. I mean, we're criticizing Garoppolo for his performance in the playoffs, but he was money down the stretch uh, in in December last year, and those were virtual playoff games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot riding on those games. Uh, he, he was great against the saints he was great against uh the the seahawks in the finale or or he was he was really good in that game um and then had those clutch plays against the uh the rams uh the week prior that that led them to that victory so um this notion that he you know that that uh that shanahan would rather bypass him and lean on the defense in the running game well that wasn't that wasn't the case in in december last year and those were high-pressure, high-impact, playoff-like games. And, and Garoppolo, for the most part, flourished in, in those contests.
3: Yeah, agreed. And we've seen uh, <laughs> what not having him out there you know, at, part, at times this season is, has impacted the offense. I think there's a, a case to be made that, that the downgrade has been the difference in, in a couple of, of losses turning in potentially being wins at various points this season. Um, speaking of, of this season, um, so obviously there's been a lot going on with this team with all the, you know, the national storylines, you know, the, the pandemic and, and being one of the many things that's of course a league wide thing. But then of course the, the major national storyline is the, the number of injuries that this team has had. Um, but is there, is there something about this, uh, about this 2020 49ers team that, that, that you find the most interesting or the most impressive um, about this team, as compared to um, what the national media is talking about.
4: Well, I mean, they're they're five and seven right now, so they're probably not going to make the playoffs. But we're still talking about their their playoff chances, and, and I think that alone just kind of shows uh, this, this team's grit and, and its resiliency. And, and they were really disappointed in themselves after the the Bills game. That was the one game, um, this 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 last stretch where, um, you know, I, I thought that they came out looking really good against the Saints. Great energy. Uh, they, you know, they, they were, were taking it to New Orleans. I mean, the New Orleans guys that were were hurt, and um, the Forty the ers were out hustling them in that game. They lost the game because of turnovers. Uh, and then the same thing happened against the Rams. I mean, the, the 49ers were in that first half the more aggressive team. And then in, against the Bills, they just they just seemed a half step slow. And I think it surprised them. I mean, I, I think that they thought that they were going to come out and play a lot better against Buffalo than they did. Um, so my point is that you know this team still has a lot of pride. Um, they still have an outside chance at the playoffs. When you add that the talent that's missing from this team—Garoppolo, Kittle, Bosa, uh, Richard Sherman—for half the season, Jakowski, Tart—I mean, you add that talent to that that foundation of grit and resiliency, and and this is a really good team still. I mean, that, that's why I think um, you know a lot's going to hinge on Bosa and, and his health. But uh, you know, if, if he's back you know, 90% of what he was last year. This is again, a, at least a, a 10, 11 win team. Um, I, I, I think my, uh, what I'm saying is that the heart of this team is really good. It's really healthy.
3: Yeah. I think that's, that's, that seems right to me as well. Yeah. That's one of my favorite parts of this team
4: is
2: they're not just a team. They feel like a family. So even years later, Justin Smith was successful in making that happen. I like the fact that, you know, it's sort of a next man up kind of thing, and everyone always says that, but at least up until this last week it has been. But they just didn't really seem to come with a game plan against the Bills. And that was ugly. That was like Nolan era ugly. But still, they're favored in that game. They're favored in this week's game. They're favored in next week's game. So the betting public in in Vegas still see some positives from the team and and some expectation and that they can pull off a couple wins
3: in a row.
4: Yeah, I mean, and if they did, then they're playing the Arizona Cardinals, sort of the, the stepbrothers uh, scenario. And, you know, that, that game is for all the marbles, I think. I mean, um, we're talking about seven play, seven teams making the, the playoffs per conference. Uh, the Cardinals would be one of the teams that they'd have to leapfrog. So it, it becomes a a colossal game in the desert. And, um, um, you know, these next two games, you know, I don't think Washington's a pushover. I don't think Dallas is a pushover either. Um, But if the 49ers did win those games, they're winnable games, um, all of a sudden I think people would get excited again. It's sort of been the last (laughs) month for this team. You get excited and then, oh, you just fall to the – The bottom of the well after a loss its so (laughs) deflating. And then they climb back up. So they've had um, several bounce backs uh, this season. This this would be their fourth bounce back um, of of 2020. And um, the question is, do they have one more bounce back in them despite everything that they've been through?
3: Yeah sounds like you've been listening to our podcast because that's exactly (laughs) the way we've been. That feels like the roller coaster (laughs) we've been on this year. I think we've started three or four different podcast episodes with like, okay, season's over, moving on. Uh, (laughs) And then the next week it feels next week. It's like, okay, maybe not. We got this. We got this. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. (laughs) Any guess what this one's going to sound like? I have my theories. What do you mean? We have the OG
2: Matt Barrows in the pod. This is like five and seven utopia. This is for certain going to be a positive epi. <laughs> for sure. All right, Chris, I
3: think you have one more question. I have that.
2: one not so serious question, which I have to ask. And then one more serious and perhaps compound question, which just popped into my head. And I'll start with the question of import, which I've been considering as a potential reason as to why Shinhan's. Offensive genius has become more of a luxury than an every week given. Matt, like you said, Shanahan wears the pants and makes all the big decisions on his team. It's his team. Lynch wears whatever Shanahan tells him to wear. I don't know, like FaceTime in the morning or something like that. So Shanahan's extremely active in the draft and with all personnel decisions. And with that, he's been pretty... Busy with the team's injury situation. Chaney also runs the offense, devises the weak scheme, calls the plays, throws the challenge flag, and sort of manages the clock. He's basically doing the jobs of multiple individuals, yet he still has a sizable staff. Do you think that Chaney's multiple roles are taking a toll on what he does best? And that's be an office of genius. And if so, do you think that he has the ability to eventually realize and then delegate some of the more unnecessary tasks, so he can focus on the bigger picture and then hopefully more victories?
4: I think if if you if he realizes that and and there's sort of that insecurity, that, oh, maybe I, I don't know everything. You're sort of removing the very thing that makes Shanahan Shanahan, if, if that makes sense. Um, I, I, I think you need him to be cocksure and aggressive and you know uh, sure of, of exactly who he wants. And um, I think he probably reconciles it knowing, I mean, he, he, his eyes are wide open. Um, he knows that Dante Pettis was was a miss. He knows that Joe Washington is it Joe Washington? I forget the name of the running back out of Utah.
2: Joe Williams, Williams, yeah, it,
4: yeah. Williams was a miss in the four, fourth round. Um, but Brandon Ayuk looks really good. Debo mm-hmm. Samuel looks really good. Um, George Kittle looks fantastic. So you know there did there's been did? a lot of hits too. Um, so. Uh, You know, this is the formula that, you know, has historically worked really well. I mean, it was the Bill Walsh uh, formula. Um, John McVeigh was an outstanding executive, a really good GM, but he let Bill Walsh have his way. Um, and, And that's what made it work. And Bill Walsh had some colossal misses over the years. But he also was an offensive genius with a lot of hits too. So um, no one's going to bat a thousand if if he's batting 500. I mean, I think that's that's uh, that's going to be great. And I, I do think that he lets the personnel people have a lot more sway when it comes to to defense, um, which you know kind of shows you know the uh, responsibility that that. Um, you know, he knows what his limitations are. But as far as um, skill positions, quarterback, receiver, running back, it's going to be Shanahan's guys for sure, tight end. Um, so, um, yeah, I wonder, speaking of tight end, if Kyle Pitts from Florida, I don't know if you guys are into the draft or anything like that. but
2: Mostly because we if, have
4: to. If <laughs> Pitts is, is sitting there at 14, let's say the 49ers have the 14th pick, that's going to be a hard guy for um, uh, an offensive guy like like Shanahan to pass up because you know he can use his imagination to you know uh, conjure up all sorts of things that where you have got Kyle Pitts, uh, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk, and he Mostert on the field at the same time. I mean, it's just like Christmas morning for somebody like Kyle Shanahan. So he's going to have to have some restraint. Um, but, uh, like I said, I, I think you want him, uh, picking those positions ultimately. Yeah.
2: And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think I'm on the same page with you that I just wanted him to be more aggressive in all ways. (laughs) And especially in some of these games where he gets a little bit of a lead and he doesn't go for that kill shot. I've always been a very, very big fan of his and I studied his amazing offense in 2016 I really thought he was going to try to replicate that in San Francisco but he hasn't really brought in a lot of other big guys and he hasn't really put a lot of big guys on the field and heavy sets on first down and thrown out of him so I don't know if it's a situation where he's just working with what he has or if this is what he really wants obviously he's one of the best offensive minds out there I just want him to be focusing on being one of the best offensive minds out there and attacking the opponent and winning us lots of football games.
4: <laughs> well, I mean, I think he realizes, you know, uh, you know, this, uh, again, this goes back to Garoppolo. I mean, these, these last few picks have been picks, uh, custom made for Jimmy Garoppolo guys who can catch, catch and run. I mean, that, that sort of suggests what's going to be happening in the future too, that they've, they addressed this team around the quarterback um, which I think reflects well on Shanahan because he is using what he has and building something uh, aggressive off of that. Um, and then George Kittle fits so well into that as well. Um, and and Kyle Pitts, I'm, I know I'm a little obsessed with Kyle Pitts all of a sudden, but um, <laughs> you know, imagine what what he could do. I mean, he would just be the perfect you know final puzzle piece to to the puzzle that. Shanahan is currently working on, um, and and that sort of what what Shanahan calls the F position. It's the it's the slot position. Um, that's been a missing element for them. I mean, uh, Jalen Hurd is supposed to be that guy. Juwan Jennings maybe is is, is that big slot. Uh, the little slot, Trent Taylor has has just vanished. Really, uh, so I mean, it's a it's a missing element for this team and. Um, a really good, I mean, and Jordan Reed is, is that guy this year. I just don't know if you can rely on Reed for the next couple of years. Um, yeah. so, um, that, that's, that seems to be a, a spot that would really kind of be the cherry on top of what Shanahan is building. We
2: already know who your draft crushes, but we won't tell anybody. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know. Now I want to go out some Florida football, which is a statement that I never thought that I would ever say. <laughs>
2: All right. So now for the not so serious question: Growing up here in the D.C. area, you were a skins fan. Who were you going to be rooting for on Sunday? <laughs>
4: <laughs> this is the the god's honest truth. I don't. I just don't root anymore.
2: I knew you were going to say that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, I I don't. I mean, it's 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 absolutely true. And when it when it becomes your business, and you and you just kind of work on it. I'm not trying to convince you guys how hard I work. But, I mean, it, it, it becomes toil uh, in, in a way. So it, you sort of lose that, that love of it, uh, which is sort of a shame because, I mean, I used to be just an ardent ardent uh, NFL fan, uh, a huge Skins fan. I mean, I, I, as, as a kid, I could tell you uh, every player on the roster, where he was born, how much he weighed, where he went to college, all that stuff. Uh, I was an encyclopedia, and and I've sort of lost that that love um, of it. it uh, my analogy is, let's say you um, you just really love sausages; that's your favorite food, and you get then you get a job at a sausage factory, and you're around you know disgusting sausages, and you see what goes into sausages twenty you know twelve hours a day. And all of a sudden, at the end of five years, you can't stand sausages anymore; they're <laughs> disgusting to you. So I don't want to say that uh, the NFL has become disgusting to me, but I just don't have that fondness for the sport that I did as a kid. Well, Greg
2: Williams just got fired, so that makes it a little less disgusting.
4: Well, that that made me happy. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: oh boy!
4: <laughs> that gave me some joy. Yeah,
2: as it did for every Niners fan and beat writer and self-respecting football yeah. fan.
4: Greg Williams, by the way, figures prominently into the book. He mm-hmm. is the black hat in the uh, in the Saints chapter, which is the biggest chapter in the book.
2: He is one of my least favorite people that I've never met, and hopefully never will.
4: Yeah,
3: you know what? I don't. I don't think it's a, it's a bad call at all. And then he did it to us again this year to you know make everything worse. <laughs> You had to go out with a bang. Allegedly, I should say. And Matt, I definitely understand
2: where you're coming from, just from the work that we do. If you can call writing and talking about your favorite sports team work over the past four or five years or so, that to be objective really is a constant struggle, especially when you've been passionate about the subject your entire life. And I found that writing about other football-related topics, other teams, draft, fantasy, is... Definitely a lot easier because there isn't that lifetime, at least on my side, intimate relationship there. But even for me, after a couple of years, I could definitely tell that there's a difference in the way that I watch the game. And in some ways, it's forced me to be closer because I need to know a lot more. I mean, I read books about the CBA, like what's wrong with me, right? But I haven't lost that love for the 49ers quite yet. But I also haven't been working, especially anywhere near to your extent, for the last 18 years. But I certainly understand what you're saying and, and where you're
3: coming from. I know Sorry. that
4: sometimes disappoints um, readers and fans when you tell them, "You know, I'm, I'm really not a, I'm, not, I'm really not a fan of the team," and they're just crestfallen. But it's really yeah. better that way. I mean, yeah. you, you wouldn't want me to be all hysterical over after a loss or something like that. I mean, that would just be. It'd be embarrassing for everybody and you wouldn't really get any news delivered to you in in those instances.
3: Yeah.
2: That's the answer I get from every person in your situation I've ever asked, but I was just hoping that you would say you were rooting for the skin so I could be like posting this
4: up, (laughs) getting all the hits. (laughs) The the question is, is you, one of you guys is in Maryland. What, what, what's this team going to be named in 2021? What's the, Who's the leader in the clubhouse as far as new monikers for the Washington team?
2: It's funny because in the area, just joking about that. Well, you're not going to call them the Redskins, if I can even say that. (laughs) What are you going to call them? We'll just call them a football team. And then they did call them the Washington football team. And we're like, (laughs) are you serious? (laughs) Like, we were kidding.
4: Is that going to be permanent?
2: I mean, I'd be surprised. There are lots of rumors in town, like they're trying to change owners and let the new owner pick. I mean, there's a bunch of different things, but I can't imagine that they're going to keep that name forever because that's pretty silly.
3: That was my favorite part about playing a Madden franchise is that it keeps going into perpetuity. It's like 10 years later, they're still the Washington football team (laughs) because, because the, the AI isn't smart enough to realize that that's not a real, real team name. (laughs) I enjoyed that. Well, Matt, we, we, uh, we certainly appreciate you joining us, uh, this evening on the Niner Noise podcast. It's been a pleasure having you and certainly an honor talking with you this evening. I will say that for myself. I cannot speak for Chris, but, um, I know that it's been a lot of fun as well. So, and I hope you enjoyed the time as well.
4: Chris hated it. Chris detested every minute of
3: it. <laughs> he usually does.
2: <laughs> this was the worst hour of my life. Is it really that obvious? <laughs> You can actually see how bad my poker face is via the audio. It's not like I've been looking for this ever <laughs> since it became a possibility. <laughs> I actually met you one time at a tailgate function very, very briefly.
4: Oh, I remember, Chris. I'll never forget it.
2: Man, you were good. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. You were it. good. You were was good. it
4: at Candlestick?
2: Oh, yeah. It was years ago, back when we could actually tailgate somewhere near the stadium. And you and Matt, number two, the.
4: Not quite
2: as good-looking Matt. Oh,
4: yeah. Number two being the operative phrase there for that guy. Yeah, really, right? (laughs) But,
2: ooh, shots fired. If you guys had time before the game, we used to come out and make an appearance at the 49ers Web Zone tailgate on the first home game of the season. And we would all be excited and fawn over you guys, try to take pictures and everything.
4: Oh, yeah, I remember. There was, like, a don't know, a, a big parking lot signpost like with with d uh, above it and that's where you guys would would hang out
2: yep you got it and you guys were always nice enough to take the time to come out and say hi and that wasn't something that you had to do so everyone recognized it and really appreciated it and that's one of the reasons why you two continue to be our favorite 49ers reporters. That was
4: like, you know, 12, 15 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was a long time ago. Uh,
2: yeah, I think that was before I got my season ticket. So that was a ways back. Yeah. It was a while ago. Yeah, good times. Absolutely. It's definitely been an honor to speak with you tonight for longer than the two seconds that I said hi last time. And <laughs> I really enjoyed talking 49ers football, both past and present. And all of our listeners better go out and buy a copy of your new book immediately.
4: <laughs> well, thank you, you two, for, for having me on and, and allowing me to ramble on about the book um, and, and the 49ers so I, I I really do appreciate that.
3: Well, the pleasure is definitely all ours. Yeah, do you want to tell people where they can get the book? I'm sure they can pick it up on most places. But if there's anywhere specific you'd like them to go to help you out more or anything along those lines?
4: It doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, it's, it's available uh, at, at any major bookseller, uh, including the, the uh, publisher triumph books. Um, Amazon obviously is where most people are getting it, but I, I do realize that there's some people that don't like lining Jeff Bezos's pockets. <laughs> and so, you know, Barnes and Noble, and there's, there's even an, an independent seller that, that has it. So, um, you can pretty much find it everywhere.
2: Good stuff. Well, thanks again for taking a large portion of your evening and spending it with us. And I'll go ahead and speak for Robert and say (laughs) that we are both looking forward to doing again sometime very soon. And you certainly have a open invitation to stop by whenever you want to talk about any current endeavor, your latest book, Potential Washington football team names or just good old fashioned 49ers football.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Just come on over whenever you want.
4: Well, you know, guys, if this team wins a Super Bowl, I think there's probably going to be another book coming show. I think everybody would be happy with that scenario.
3: I'm in favor of that for sure. Let's
2: make that
4: happen. All right. Sounds good.
3: All right. Thanks.
2: Stay safe. And thanks a lot, Matt. All right. Anytime. Bye. Thanks again to Matt Burroughs for taking the time out of his evening to talk a little 49ers football and you can show your appreciation for his insight into the team by picking up a copy of his book and simply search for if these walls could talk San Francisco 49ers and it'll come right up in the search on Google or Amazon. As you could tell, Matt's a great guy and over his time as a beat writer, he has accumulated a vast amount of 49ers knowledge. So, always great to have him on the pod and we look forward to having him back on sooner rather than later and over the off season you should expect to hear from a number of other guests as well but until then you're stuck with us and for that i owe you a thank you for listening to this special episode of the nine Noise podcast part of the fan-sided podcast network Go ahead and check out NinerNoise.com for all of your latest 49er news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you like what you hear, please share it with all of your fellow 49er fan friends. Until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers.